0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's now time to talk pitching with the pitching guru, the pitching coach for your Oakland Athletics. Scott Emerson is with us, and it's been a long time, but. We do this every spring. Emo, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. We have so much to talk to you about because pitching, it's like, you know, when you think about hitting at some point, ball, hit ball, right? I mean, you can work on mechanics, but you can do everything you want in the cage and everything, and you can work on some launch angles, but you still got to square it up, seaball, hit ball. But pitching's totally different, and we've got so much going on. There's so much information on what is it like for you in the off season? I know you're like a sponge; you want to get as much new info as you possibly can.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, you know, when you start understanding pitching, you got to understand that control the controllables, and the first thing that the pitcher has to do is be able to have the ability to control himself. You can control your body; you're going to control the baseball a little bit better. So, I, I dove into a lot of stuff this off season uh, about uh, how people move, uh, why they move. I mean, you can do an assessment of a body part, but it doesn't tell you how they all sync up and they move together. So I dove into that a lot this off season because everybody's different. And when you get on that mound and somebody's trying to tell you to get into the ground and use the ground force, but your body doesn't allow you to do that, you might be a top guy that has to pull down into the action. That's really something that I learned a lot this off season. I've always kind of believed in it. And now uh, there's some people out there, I won't give away some secrets, but there are some people out there that uh, can help me quantify that. And uh, I hope we can use that as an advantage to help our guys, uh, you know, get into a profile that works best for them.
0: It, it, It is a wonderful point because we think about, we look at the human body and we see guys who are, Obviously, neck, chest, arms, we look very fit. You'll even look at their backside. You'll look at their thighs and their weightlifting and everything, but... Really, what we're seeing in sports, and I even throw hockey on here because you're hitting the puck, but and we're and we and they're probably talking about it more in golf than anywhere else is how do you use the ground, the ground forces, as you just say? Because really, your power as a golfer, as a hitter, how you're using the ice and the ground with your skates, it's coming from the ground up, not from the top down to the ground. Interesting how that really has come, it's become a very big
1: part of sports and power. Yeah, but what you really have to understand is some guys can't do that,
0: and that's... The, you they, mean like myself in golf? Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, some guys just don't have the ability to bend their legs and get into their rear end and get their get into the ground, so when you're forcing guys to get into the ground who can't get into the ground, now the injury issue comes up for me, so then that's going back to some of the things I really dove into and learned from some people, uh, uh, this off season, and it was, it was really interesting. Like, when I play golf, you know, in my heyday, I'd hit it 300 yards, but I didn't like to rotate. I just went straight back and straight through, and everybody would always tell me, you got to rotate. Yeah, I might have hit the ball a little bit farther, but, you know, I'm on the fairway, and I'm hitting it straight, and I'm hitting it far enough to uh, have a short iron game. And so that was my thought of pitching. Like, you know, guys move. The way they move, you know, when, when you grow up, nobody teaches you how to crawl, you do it yourself. Nobody teaches you how to walk, you do it yourself. So that's a motor preference. And, uh, you know, when we start changing somebody's motor preference and how they do things, instead of enhancing the way they do something, I think you can put a lot of guys at risk. And, and you know, obviously, you know, you, you study the kinetic chain, you study the ground force, you know, everything works from the ground up because you start with your feet and you end with your arm. But uh, at, at the end of the day, too, you have to look at the whole perspective of how people move. And, you know, there's duck footers, what I call duck footers, you know, there, there's pigeon-toe guys. What, uh, so they're going to land different. They're going to move different. And if you're trying to make them do something that their profile won't allow them to do, that's when you start, you know, wondering, why can't this guy throw strikes? So oh, I'm trying to get him to do something that um, he's incapable of doing so instead of doing that let's enhance what he doesn't do what we think is a profession he doesn't do well and get it better at some point in time when I'm on the golf course and I'm trying to and I'll use golf because you, you started it yeah you know <laughs> I, I start playing my slice I'm gonna slice right so why why line up for the middle of the green and be in the woods all the time why not slice it and slice it to the center of the fairway so that's, kind of, that's just how I swing. I'm probably not going to change it at 50 years old. So instead of being in the woods, I'm going to change my approach angles. I'm going to start doing something to help me land on the fairway. You know, I think
0: about when you talk about changes, you know, in the past, we were so into changing so much about a player, but you talk about their body is their body, and they have to do – what their body truly allows them to do if you make changes that go against that and here these guys go out and they throw and throw and throw how much are you putting them at a risk of inner uh, of injury not knowing their body and changing what's natural for their limbs their torso however you want to look at
1: it yeah that's a huge uh, huge problem and and that's why I use our strengthened uh, conditioning department, uh, Josh Cuffey and Steve Candelaria, they're really good at helping identify how these guys can move and what we can and can't do. You know, normally if you got a short armor in the back, he's long in the front. You got a long armor in the back, he's short armor in the front. And the long armor's in the back, the short armor in the front is the guy that pronates a little bit earlier and throws some sinkers and uses some change ups. So uh, now if you want him to throw harder, and the new revolution is the short arm in the back, you're changing the way he's grown up to throw. You take a guy that's six six, you know, six seven and the strike zones, you know, whatever the inches are below his eyesight, his body has taught him and trained him that he's gotta get down into the action a little bit more than a five foot ten guy because his visual is different. So he has to do a little bit more work to get the ball down than the guy that's 5'10". So the guy that's 5'10 can rotate a little bit more than the guy that's 6'7". You know, you take a guy that's 6'7". I like to say that the pitching mechanics is is a merry-go-round turned into a Ferris wheel at the end. You gotta rotate, land, drive the baseball down. Abner Doubleday gave us a mound. So let's use the leverage of the mound. The shorter guy can rotate more and not worry about the Ferris wheel as much because he's already on plane. So those are kind of some of the things that I've dove into over the last basically two years. And, um, you know, we got some guys that are are doing the things that they're supposed to be doing and moving, and that's their way of moving.
0: You know, at, at the highest level, you rarely see this. You see this more in amateur baseball is when you see a pitcher up there and his arm speed is different. The arm speed is different from a fastball versus his changeup versus a slider. Hitters pick up on that very easily, and now you know when a breaking ball is coming or an off-speed pitch versus a fastball. At this level, you don't see that as much. So for me, one of the things that really has changed over time is Obviously, velocity, but also the ability to manipulate the baseball and make it move at a higher velocity. Because back in the day, if you threw hard, everything was dead straight. Now we're seeing guys, whether it's a two-seamer, whatever it is with your grip, to still have that velocity but have that movement with the baseball. Have you seen? Have you seen that evolution really grow? And how has that worked?
1: Well, that's where your ball metric stuff come into play. You got your uh, uh, seam shifted wake uh metrics that we we can move the seams a little bit into a pitcher's hand we can use the edutronics uh, slow-mo camera to see how the ball actually comes out there are guys that hold a two-seam fastball and then when they pronate it comes out four seams and there are guys that do the same thing with their breaking balls you know the four-seam fastball generally spins tighter than than any other pitch right so why wouldn't we have that breaking ball come out four seams so it can spin tighter and and the magnus force can help the breaking ball push down or the magnus force will help the the fastball stay up so we can use these machines to see okay if we just alter your grip just a little bit it's going to come out tighter now on you know everybody talks about having good spin rate you also want to have bad spin rate on certain pitches, you know, split finger fastballs, change-ups, two-seam fastballs. You want to take the RPMs off the ball so the Magnus Force pushes the ball to the bottom of the strike zone and even more. So, uh, And then, you know, there's a whole combination. You know, everybody says, okay, 2385 is generally like average spin rate on a four-seam fastball. And then around uh, 150 RPMs off that is the two-seamer, uh, which is lower. But there are some guys that throw four seams at uh, 2,100 that can still elevate because they either throw hard or they're deceptive. They have body parts that are deceptive. I think we forget about, as an industry, that bending over, like your dad used to say in Little League, bend your back, that um, you know when you're forgetting to bend your back, that's deception. When you got a lot of body moving towards that hitter, that's deception. And you're hiding the ball as long as possible, that's deception. Nobody wants to teach it as much or uh, because they can't really quantify it, but the hitter will tell you, is this fastball getting on you or is it not? You know, our, our recent trade guy, uh, Sean Manaya, you know, throwing 90-92 against the Dodgers the other day, sitting in the dugout, everybody was like, wow, look at the arm speed he's got rolling today, and his fastball just played up.
0: I think of one guy, and he actually got brought up in a conversation – the other day that we saw for so many years and he did not throw hard. I mean, I think he probably topped out in college, Jared Weaver, at like 92, 93, but the guy had a long career, but he's like six, six, he's all arms. He's coming, you know, at times three quarters. He was all. He wasn't about velocity. He was. You just didn't see the baseball really well against him, so he didn't need that velocity. So you talk about. And in, in his era, we were just starting to dabble in spin rates and stuff like that. He was like a prey manis out there that lived on deception.
1: Well, he, he was tremendously. He was probably uh, a couple feet across his body. Uh, I remember a slinger. Sl- slinger gunslinger. I remember seeing him in A-ball Rancho Cucamonga. So, I've been able to follow, I was able to follow his whole career pretty much from A-ball to the big leagues and watch this guy. And and like you said, he offered a ton of deception. He pitched. He had the ability to go soft in a fastball count. Had to go, had the ability to go a fastball in a fastball count, but had the ability to put it in a good area. You know, and, and he had, was able to attack the hitter's weaknesses in that. You know, you look at fastballs, the declining fastball usage for me is because guys just don't know where it's going anymore. They're, they they they're sacrificing command over velocity and most of those guys just throw to the zone and hey, it, it, there's value to it, you know. I'm not saying there's no value to it, but you look at the guy who's 94-95 who knows how to move his baseball around his fastball and he's got secondary pitches, he's really good. And then you look at the guy that throws 100 that's got no idea <laughs> You know, and then you're kind of hoping and praying this guy can get outs, right? You know, and he's 23, 24 pitches in the count, and you're hoping he makes the team the next year so he throws enough strikes and he's sustainable. So it, it's still a game of uh, – the game hasn't changed. You know, there's still, um, you know, nine guys on the field. There's still uh, – as of now, the bases are 90 feet, you know. The yeah. the, the mound is 60 feet, How big feet, are those bases? Inches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, the, 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 the mound, 60 feet, 6 inches. Uh, so, I mean, the game is still the game, but, uh, you know, I, I love the metrics. I get a lot of help from uh, Pike Goldschmidt and uh, Samantha Schultz and uh, Ben Lowry. And uh, we like to collaborate, but it's much easier to game plan with a pitcher who has an idea where his baseball's going. So
0: how tough is it, right? Because obviously the people you just mentioned in the front office – are very bright, they've got very impressive degrees and went to great colleges, and they can come out here and they can manip- manipulate the technology to help give you guys all these numbers, right? All this data, and then you can take that data and then you can give it to the players and the players can think about all that data. But in the end, there's only one thing that matters. Do you get outs?
1: Yeah, that that's the most important part. And that's where, you know, you. for me, I branch all our pitchers off of outs. Your throwing program dictated is off your outs. You know, how you throw the baseball, how you get your outs. But, you know, they do a great job of, of giving us the information, and then we have to decipher the information of what these guys can use. I mean, there's some guys that the scouting reports are real short and limited because they can't process the information that way. Uh for uh, fortunately for us, our catcher, uh, Murph, uh, you know, Golden Glove guy, he gets it. He understands it. So he's the guy I really lean on for the game plan. Plus we got a little wristband with some information on it, but we lean on Murph a lot to understand the game plan for each and every pitcher because the game plan's different. Somebody's shape of his breaking ball, you know, he may call it a, a curveball, but it's really a slider. You know, we see a lot of cutters, that are sliders in this in this day and age, you know, we're you know, we shortened the term uh, cut fastball to cutter, and then all of a sudden the cutters have gotten bigger and they look more like breaking balls. That's a slider. Yeah. When when in my day it was it was a uh, you know cut fastball, just a little fastball that cut, and then uh, like Mariano Rivera, half an inch off the barrel, driving into lefties and away from righties, and then all of a sudden it's kind of turned into a baby slider, and then some guys, you know, they think they're throwing cutters, but they're throwing sliders. And some guys think they're throwing sliders, but they're throwing curveballs. So there's a lot in the game where, you know, guys say one thing, but the shape of the pitch is another.
0: So obviously we're all paranoid now about stealing signs and that whole thing, and Pitchcom is coming in and the catcher's going to have a wristband. There's nine different buttons on it. You can press the button, and, for example, it will say, and middle infielder's pitcher, whoever has the technology in their caps, will hear slider outside corner. And it actually is in a couple different languages, I believe. You can get it in Spanish. I don't know if it's in Japanese or what it's in. Have you experimented with it? How do you like it? And how do you think it'll be utilized at the big league level?
1: Yeah, we, we've used it a few games with a few starters. And, uh, you know, Murph loves it. And, and I like it, too. You know, I went in with kind of a closed mind at first, like, hey, here we go again, changing the game of baseball. But it's kind of, in my opinion, speeding up the process of the game. You know, we all know. That these games sometimes takes too long and, and linger a little bit, but uh, the ability to maybe pick up the pace a tad uh, and then get away from you know relaying signs, I think it's a good thing. You know, let let's get, all get on the same page and and play baseball without having uh, you know people relay signs. And uh, you know, some teams are really good at it. They got a lot more manpower than other teams. I think this puts it back onto the playing surface and let the players play the game. Um, I think it's good for the game, and I think it'll be, you know, we've we got to tighten up the technology a little bit, but I think it's going to be really good for the game.
0: And then what do you think? I mean, they're going to experiment with it, and it's it's coming, the electronic strike zone.
1: Well, you know, um, as long as it's, you know, the strike zone. You know, I've heard that, um, you know, I think I heard that the, they're moving the, uh, the, where the ball crosses like seven inches behind home plate. Uh, because they don't like the low breaking ball. Uh, but that was the, that's the strike zone. You know, the strike zone is the hollow of the knee to the, the middle of the, the hip and top of the shoulder into swing. And um, I think the strike zone should stay the same. Uh, and, I, I, well, I hope it stays the same. But, you know, there's a lot of money in this game. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, a call can be persuaded in a, in a direction that hurts people. And maybe hurts their pockets and hurts the team and, and wins. No
0: question. So
1: let's let's get these call, like like instant replay for me. You know, you only get one or whatever. To, let's get every call on the field right, and um, that's fair play. You know, just because, you know, we miss one or miss another and, and lose a challenge, I think that let's get every call on the field right and then nobody can complain.
0: I mean think about all these years how ridiculous it's been where this umpire is a low strike caller, a high strike caller. Back in the day the American League umpires had those big cushions on their chest so they couldn't see the low strikes. I mean a strike should be a strike, a ball should be a ball.
1: And, and as a pigeon <laughs> I mean, as a pitching coach, I totally agree with you. Seriously. You know, I th- I think you know you're you're going to you're going to see you know catchers you know, set up in one spot and reach across the plate for another, and the, and the machine's going to say it's a strike. And just everybody has to go in with the, the you know, it's got to work. That's the one thing. We, we, we need the technology to, to work. You can't say, oh, well, it wasn't calibrated today or what have you. These things have to work. And uh, if they work, I'm all for using it.
0: You know, I think about it. All the different people that are good. We're, we're, we're currently right now in the dugout at Ho-Ho Cam as this is the last spring training game for the athletics uh, here in Mesa. After this, you guys got a couple more games and you're heading off to Philadelphia to start the season. And let's be honest, you're going to see a lot of guys to come through this clubhouse. You want to have a pitching philosophy and you're going to have a lot of bullpen guys. Uh, in, a, in a show, once we get back to Oakland, I'm going to want to get into – you know, efficiency, they, they, they've turned our game into everybody max out, throw as hard as you can. And what happens is is that starters give you less innings, which means you now need more relievers to cover all those outs. And instead of saying, well, we need those guys to pitch more innings, we're just going to now add roster spots. They're manipulating the game by saying what, they won't admit they're wrong, so they're going to add more roster spots. And we're still going to have everybody max out on every pitch. We'll get into that at a different time. But, you're going to have a lot of guys come through this clubhouse this year. Just a reality of the way the season's going to go. For you, how do you keep that Emo's philosophy on starters? How you get people out? How you maintain? Same thing with the bullpen when you have so many different bodies that are going to come through. Come through here.
1: Well, I don't know if it's Emo's philosophy. More so of uh, you know, just pitch the game. You know, uh, you know we got to be able to throw strikes we got to be unpredictable. we got to have the ability to go soft in a fastball count. we got to have the ability in a fastball count uh, that we don't feel comfortable with going with an off-speed to go to an area of a plate that's not only a, a weakness of the hitter but a strength for the pitcher. So, you know, at the end of the day, these guys are going to come out here and, and hopefully pitch. And, and that's, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, I, I look back on on the the Dave Duncan uh, pitching coach uh, of the A's, uh, Clucky and, and Rick Peterson and, and Kurt Young and Ron Romanic And I look back at the tradition of the Oakland A's and they're strike throwers and they come get you. And, you know, Dave Stewart is you know, been around with us and, and you know, that, that mentality, that stare down that, that Dave had, uh, one of the greatest pitchers in the game, one of the greatest playoff pitchers in the game. When you, when you can have that mentality that we're coming to get you, then it's all going to be good. And sometimes, you know what, we will get beat, you know, and we'll make mistakes. But, uh, you know, there's a book out there that I, I read plenty uh, or, or several years ago, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. It's how we're going to learn from our mistakes that makes us a better pitching staff. You know, don't keep making the same mistake over and over. The infield's in and you're throwing fly ball pitches when the manager's telling you, get the ball on the ground. And, you know, it's, it's pitching. You know, it's, you know, maybe, maybe you know, sometimes you give the, the, the veterans a benefit of the doubt and you don't talk to them about certain things as much. Well, you look in the clubhouse, like you said, and it's, it's a lot of teaching going on and a lot of reminding. And they are going to make mistakes, but we can't continually to make mistakes. We're going to learn this season. That's the goal.
0: Our first installment of pitching with the pitching guru Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, thank you so much. We'll try and do this uh, when you're back in town up in Oakland because the fans love it. It's fascinating learning the art of pitching through you. Uh, Enjoy that first road trip, Philly, Toronto, Tampa, and
1: we'll see you back in Oakland. Thanks for having me.
0: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.